I think what we have seen is that many of the large organizations back in the days, like they set up these almost like a separate uh, innovation teams to, to do innovation on the site. But it's really becoming more and more important that the kind of like the core of the organization also innovates and is enabled to, to innovate. Welcome to Don't Break the Bank, Run It and Change It, a podcast for curious minds in the financial services industry. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and together with my co-host Brian Hayes, we've both worked for over 30 years in banking and banking IT before joining VMware. In today's episode, we speak with Hannah Helen. Hannah is the Global Head of Technology Innovation at the London Stock Exchange Group. Hannah talks with us about the future of artificial intelligence and machine learning, including the ethics surrounding it and how these technologies can help take on industry challenges. She also talks with us about customer engagement and where the market's going next as she aims to drive wider technology innovation programs that are enabled to leverage some of the latest tools, technologies and approaches to drive better business and greater collaboration. Welcome, Hannah. Great to have you join us today. Thank you, Matthew. Very nice to be here. So, Hannah, can you give us a quick intro about you and your role, please? Sure, absolutely. So Hannah Helene, I'm actually based in New York. I'm originally from Finland, so I have gone through lots of reiterations throughout my career. I'm currently working for London Stock Exchange Group. So I run our uh, technology innovation strategy within our CTO organization. So in my team, uh, we're very focused on tracking what is happening externally in the market around emerging technologies. So we're very focused on public cloud enhancements, I would say AI machine learning, lots of things happening there, as well as blockchain. We have started hearing more about things like metaverse and augmented reality. So really anything that might impact LSEC and obviously our customers. And then within my group, what we also do is that we are engaging with the global ecosystem. So mostly with the large technology firms. So really understanding from them that what are those new kind of cutting edge capabilities that are coming through, as well as also smaller startup companies. So whenever there are more specialized companies that we should take a look at and, and engage with, we work with them. And then as a part of those ecosystem engagements, we also collaborate with venture capital firms. So really understand they investment approach and, and focus areas, as well as uh, we have also academic uh, engagement program where we collaborate with leading academic institutions on, on research and also obviously kind of like talent pipeline for the organization. And then obviously on top of that, lots of different customer engagement. So speaking obviously with uh, our, our client CTOs and CIOs and seeing where the market will be, will be going next. One of the key things in my role as well is to drive this wider technology innovation program across the whole LSEC technology team, which is really all about making sure that our technologists are enabled to leverage the latest and greatest technologies and then also really learn learn more about them. And we also have also kind of like more sort of innovative elements as a part of that program. So we have also provided, for example, technology innovation fund for our technologists so that they, they can then seek funding for their ideas. But lots of different you know, aspects that we are looking at within this group. So then from a career perspective, then how did you end up getting here? What was it you wanted to, to do when you left school? You know, how did you get started? It's a good question. I didn't really think about it initially that I would be 
getting into these kind of roles. So I think initially back in the days when I graduated, I actually wanted to become an ambassador. So I quite like the approach where I would be able to move from one country to another every couple of years and really learn about lots of like local cultures. But then I actually worked for Embassy of Finland in Sweden for a while. And I felt that it was quite slowly moving. Like it felt a little bit like, I don't know, it just didn't do it for me. So then I did like a kind of like second master's degree and then actually started back in the days at Thomson Reuters. So I kind of like joined the financial services industry. It wasn't probably the best time to join though. Like it was like, again, back, back in 2007, market meltdown, lots of like uh, financial institutions going bust. So again, like kind of like diving straight into, into that deep end. And then I think kind of like throughout my career, like kind of like stayed in the financial services now about, I guess, 13, 14 years now already, but have been moving kind of like every other year, have been moving to new positions and have kind of like transitioned to more kind of like, I would say, strategy roles, as well as then to data management roles, and then now in the in more technology roles for about seven, eight years now. So it, it wasn't really planned from the get-go. You know? <laughs> okay, so, so looking back then, what, what would you say has been your career-defining moment? I think it kind of comes back to the managers I've had throughout the years. So I think I remember still the time when I specifically moved from London to, to New York. So at that time, so I was, as I mentioned, like I worked in, in kind of Thomson Reuters sales team and worked as an account manager. And I kind of realized that I, I don't think sales was really for, for me. Like I just didn't, I don't know, it just didn't work for me. And I actually came to visit my brother in New York. And I felt that, oh, like this is quite a nice city, like very energetic, lots of things seems to be happening here. So I then went to my manager in London to say that, you know, like it would be quite nice to identify opportunities in in New York. And she was very supportive. She was like, yep, you can absolutely go there, but do identify local opportunities there. And I remember having lots of meetings in, in New York at that time with the senior leadership team and kind of like identifying those opportunities. And then one of the guys who was actually heading innovation team at that time, a guy called Tim Baker. So he actually then had a meeting with me and he happened to have an opportunity where he then eventually hired me, me for. And I feel that that really coming from sales to the more kind of like strategy and innovation focused roles was really kind of like the big, big change for, for my career. And I think oftentimes you find in these kind of roles that people are maybe not as open-minded. Like they see that, for example, if you work in sales, you will work in sales, like you are not necessarily moving to to other kind of positions. So I think that was really crucial for, for my career. And then I think kind of like leveraging that experience, like I've been able to make those similar jumps from there. Like I think when you end up working in these kind of like innovation roles, you tend to get kind of like lots of exposure to different areas and then you can kind of like leverage your expertise different ways. And I think that has then enabled me to move over to these, even eventually to these more kind of like technology focused roles. So what's been your proudest moment from a professional perspective so far? Good question. I think you like uh, one of the things which I always like in these positions is that it tends to be very kind of collaborative effort. So 
throughout your career, like you get to see these, I guess, working in these like small teams where you really kind of like identify like a very small group of people that you you work with and you execute a certain project. And I think we I've had I've been lucky enough to have a couple of those occasions where I've worked in those groups and really launched new market offerings to the market, especially if you know on the big data side and now on, on the technology side. I think those are really always the, the fun fun experiences that you can kind of like collaboratively kind of like share that almost like celebration to together with the team. And then I think oftentimes as well, like when you get to present to like senior leadership team or you get to present in the large conferences externally, like obviously those have been always as well fun experiences. I think another angle in general is that I think in in, in this kind of role, like you get the opportunity to meet up with lots of different uh, ecosystem kind of contacts and startup founders and again, lots of different contacts there. And when you get to kind of like introduce them to the right teams and help them to launch their offering to the market, I think that's also very exciting as well to really seeing them them succeed. Let's move on to our deep dive. Man, and I did a real deep dive. All right, uh, let's get into it. We'll find out everything there is to know. Okay, Hannah. So when we were talking before, you mentioned that you've got a new report just been commissioned on AI. What were your findings? Sure, absolutely. So we have this uh, tendency actually to do uh, this kind of AI report on a yearly basis. So we published the, the, the last one end of last year. And what we did is that we interviewed about 500 individuals in the financial services market. So we're looking at actually both buy side and, and sell side. The name of the report is the defining moment for data scientists, AI and ML research. So those of you listening, like if you go to Google, you will be able to find uh, the report. But it was really interesting. So we basically interviewed both C-level executives as well as more kind of like hands-on practitioners, such as data scientists. And what really came out of the report was that most of those organizations had really AI and machine learning as a part of the core strategy. What we saw is that especially uh, senior leaders, so looking at, again, the the C-level executives, they saw that AI is really pretty much the the core of their strategy going forward. What was interesting from the findings, though, was that I think data scientists specifically saw that they still kind of like more space for improvement, that there's kind of like the, I guess, talk in the senior level that AI is very much in the core of the organization's uh, strategy, but then in, I think, I guess, lower levels that you go in the organization, it would still deserve more more focus there. What we also saw is that I think early on when we looked at AI and kind of comparing the results to previous surveys as well, we saw that when we look at each of the regions, US tended to be quite far ahead of the, the other regions. While with this report now, what we saw is that actually both Europe and Asia were also picking up more. So all of those organizations also saw that AI is very much uh, as a part of their the core strategy. When we looked at challenges for AI and machine learning, I think we still saw that there's an overall discussion about how do you actually connect the data manage the data and really also get access to the right kind of data to then add analytics on, on, on top of that. So I think, that, you know, all of these uh, companies were pretty much, they were quite data hungry uh, across the board, but they kind of wanted to have, have more there. 
I think another one, another interesting finding that we, we saw was really kind of like public cloud engagement and where that market is going. So we also kind of like had the ranking of like, which, what is the preference for the market as it comes down to public cloud capabilities? And what we really saw is that customers, they really looked at all of them. Uh, obviously, Microsoft, AWS, GCP, IBM, Alibaba, as well as Snowflake. And but we saw that really, I think Azure specifically and AWS, like they were most preferred options in the survey. But I think those were really, really the key findings. Matthew and I have been fortunate over the past few weeks to talk to Josh Simons internally and also Ray O'Brien, who is an ex COO from one of the large banks who is now working for a, for a software company. We did get into a healthy debate and, op- and opinions around how ethics will come into AI and how that will be governed, but also the regulation of AI. And I wondered if that was picked up in your survey, if you've got, a, or if you've got a particular opinion on that. Yeah, so I think we have looked at that specifically, for example, from the ethical AI perspective. So I think that that's been quite an interesting discussion to, to follow, like the whole European Commission regulation that will be coming into play within a couple of years. I think it's very healthy conversation overall to make sure that there's kind of like diversity and kind of like proper review of any AI and ML models that will be coming into play. I think what I've personally found quite interesting in that space is that, you know, it's interesting to see that AI is very much in the core of it, while I think the discussion should be also about overall analytics models. Like I think it is very important to make sure that whenever you create any kind of model, whether it's with or without AI, it would be done proper way and, and again keeping that ethical aspect and diverse aspects in the in the core of it. So that's something that we are very focused on at, at the moment as well. Like we want to make sure that Obviously, from the capability perspective, as we're looking to implement more AI capabilities, like we have sort of full visibility on what kind of solutions we have and how they're obviously leveraging AI. And then on top of that, as we look at them, the teams and obviously our customers as well, which are creating new models, it's also good to get visibility into those and making sure that we have proper governance around it, especially as we look at our internal data science teams and analytics teams. So we are trying to make sure that we are not creating almost like a side processes for AI governance and management, but we want to make sure that it's kind of like part of the the core processes. I think that's going to be a debate that's going to go on and on and on. Um, Matthew, question from you? Uh, Yeah, so following on from Brian's question, really, so your answer there, you mentioned how Europe are thinking about it. What's your take on other geographies, jurisdictions, and maybe even industries? Is it everybody in line with where Europe is or from what you're seeing, varying degrees of that? So I think Europe has been a little bit ahead of that conversation. So I think that uh, European Commission regulatory proposal that came through really, I think, last summer. So that has been the, the baseline for the, for the discussion. U.S. is a little bit further off, I think, with that conversation. It will be interesting to see that how that overall conversation will go, especially considering the large technology firms in the U.S. and how they will be kind of like adapting back to that that regulatory oversight. I think that's really, really interesting, especially looking at, obviously, for example, Google, like how they will be looking at the search functionality 
and how they need to adapt to those changing regulatory demands going forward. You raised an interesting point in your introduction around innovation and technology at, at the exchange. I wonder if you could give me your view as to how that benefits and impacts your customers and, and your colleagues. I, I came from a, an exchange era many years ago where it was basically speed, speed, faster, please go faster, speed. It's moved on since then, obviously, so, but I just wondered how you feel you're benefiting your customers. Yeah, so I think we have lots of different angles to, to look at there. So from the kind of like ELSEC's own perspective, like this, we, we're obviously managing tons of different uh, data sets on, on our site. So there are always opportunities for further automation with AI and kind of like making sure that when we look at our, for example, internal data analysts, so that we can give them tools to do more kind of like intelligent work on top of those like very manual processes. As we then look at the, the customer-facing solutions, so we have obviously various different analytical and data offerings that we, we offer for the banks and hedge funds and asset managers. And there are lots of different uh, use cases where we are feeding our data, uh, whether it's data feeds or APIs, to those different environments. So it's really interesting to see, and I think what we kind of like saw also from the AI survey is those like fast developing, almost like individual requirements as well, that we see that each of the data scientists, like they they probably have their favorite tools that they want to uh, use going forward. Some would be using, I don't know, SageMaker, others would be using BigQuery. And then there's obviously the whole evolution of, of different smaller ecosystem providers as well that would be playing in that space. So it's really the, the key for us to make sure that we'll be having our data sets and uh, solutions also available in, in those environments. And I think that's the, the key that we have done it from our perspective, that we have very collaborative partnerships with each of the, the large public cloud providers, really because of that reason as well. Like we want to make sure that we can offer our data a flexible way for, for our customers in all of those different environments. As I said, um, going back 10, 12 years, everything was around speed, latency. And I think with the evolution of technologies that can now be deployed at an industrial strength capability, i.e. they're resilient, they're scalable, I think the opportunity to drive change both in the exchanges and the associated utilities, but also then extend that back out into the customers and create new products and services that previously never existed. Absolutely. Yeah, I think there are lots of opportunities in that space. And I think what you mentioned there, like I don't think any of those challenges have gone away. That kind of like instant access and instant transaction is obviously still there. So what's your approach to innovation? I know that's part of your responsibility, but you know, is that responsibility of just one department? Is it something that you nurture a culture? Is it something different? What's your approach there? It is really a culture across the board. So I think what I've personally seen, I think throughout the year, so I've studied in these kind of like innovation teams about 10 years ago already. And I think what we have seen is that many of the large organizations back in the days, like they set up these almost like a separate uh, innovation teams to, to do innovation on the site. But it's really becoming more and more important that the kind of like the core of the organization also innovates and is enabled to, to innovate. So the way that we are driving the program is that we want to make sure that all of our technologies will 
get access to the latest and greatest understanding of like what is happening really in the market with emerging technologies and really highlighting to them that which are the capabilities that they should be using going forward. So it's kind of like the educational element as a part of that, which will then lead really to additional innovation across the organization. What I mentioned earlier about Technology Innovation Fund, for example, so that's one way that we have been enabling our technologists to really get going faster with their new ideas. So there has been basically a pocket of money that they can come up with with a new idea. They can come to the senior leadership team with their idea, and then we'll be reviewing the idea to make sure that it's aligned with our business priorities. And then the idea will be funded, and then they can get going with it very rapid fashion. So they can test it out and see whether it works or not. And if it doesn't work, like then we move to the to the next idea. So the, I think that's really that testing and kind of like rapid innovation is really uh, important in this current um, environment. The innovation is a really interesting word, and obviously over the past few, well, 10, 12 years, there's been a lot of competition brought into financial services from fintechs. So do you see any outside competition, fintech-type organizations that are now starting to encroach on the exchange's capabilities, its core capabilities, and perhaps some of its peripheral product sets? Do you see any changes in the world around that? Yeah, so we approach it very much, I think, from the ecosystem perspective. So what we are doing is that we obviously... We have that platform and we have the existing relationships with financial services customers. So what we do is that we partner both on the data side and on the capability side to then offer that flexibility for customers. So that has been really our strategy that we kind of like look at obviously large public cloud providers or larger technology firms, as well as those smaller, small specialized companies that we can collaborate with and then either offer our data through them or then offer their capabilities as a part of our platforms and, and solutions for our customers. So that has been really our key strategy. I think this approach where you would be kind of like trying to distract others to enter into the market. I don't think it's a good strategy in this this space. I think there are lots of companies which have been doing this almost almost like collaborative partnerships really well. I think, for example, Microsoft has been, I think, a great example of that where they have formed direct relationships with them. Also, they direct competition. I was thinking about, for example, Salesforce. So I think there are lots of interesting examples in the market where that is really working well. I think there will be more and more of it. The other thing that, that I presume that you're starting to see also is that your own customers are now starting to create consortiums of new organizations to drive reduced cost and a better type of service. Is that also true? I think so. So One extra example of that kind of engagement is actually we have collaborated on the CDMC, Cloud Data Management Capabilities Working Group, which is exactly an example of that. So there has been this industry conversation on where the market will be going next from the data management perspective. And we have been part of it together with our customers, such as Morgan Stanley, as well as larger cloud providers and more like these specialized uh, data management firms. And I think that conversation overall has been very welcome to really have the discussion that what are the industry challenges? Like, I think each of the organizations have been kind of like struggling, for example, with uh, data management and 
data matching individually, while with this conversation, like it's much more kind of like an industry conversation and almost like starting to normalize of where the market might be going next and what may be the capabilities that will need to be developed next and what are not there just, just yet. So I think that has been one example of such collaboration. A lot of the times we're talking in that topic of um, innovation as a way to bring in more income. How about innovation as a way to reduce costs? Is there a, an enabling way that colleagues in your firm can, can make suggestions or do they just get on with it or do you not worry about costs and just go for income? So I think overall, like there are lots of in these larger organizations, it comes back to the kind of like simplification as, as well, partly. Yeah. Like how do you make sure that you have the process that as you look at innovation, that how do you make sure that people know who to come to when they have a new idea and then are enabled to, to go after it a proper way. And that's why I'm so enthusiastic to make sure that we don't really see innovation in kind of like a sideline process. Like it should be really part of our, yeah. our core processes and, and making sure that, again, coming back to the simplification, that they, these are the stakeholders that you need to, to talk with to get, get going with certain kind of projects. And that has been, I think, really the, the key initiative on our side to make sure that we drive that clear process and enable our technologies to move faster way going forward. Blockchain, hype or happening? Happening. I think it's definitely happening. It's a really, really interesting one. So obviously as a baseline technology, like I think we have seen past couple of years, like I think when you looked at this space probably like three to five years ago, I think there were still those like test cases in the marketplace felt very early stages, while now I think it's really becoming into these more practical use cases. I'm thinking more on the, again, on the data management side, how do you store certain kind of records? I think when you talk about hype, I think there's a little bit hype on NFT space, I think specifically. Yeah. I mean, there's, and I guess Web, web 3.0 as, as well. Like I think it seems that people are defining it slightly different ways. I think some talk about it more in the augmented reality space, others link it very closely back to back to blockchain. I think that is maybe a little bit more hypey at the moment still. But again, like I think there's a, there's a potential in, in that space as well. But I think where blockchain is really, really coming to is that kind of getting to more of those kind of like instant transactions and having kind of a clear ownership of each individual transaction as well. I think it, there's definitely potential there. So what, what are your thoughts then or how much time are you spending in the metaverse and where does that play in your team's thinking? I'm actually more sort of personally interested in that okay. space. I think my, it's, it's, I think I would say it's fairly early stages, I think still in the financial services uh, industry. But it, it has been interesting to see that whole dynamic that when we have all been working from home and in these like virtual environments, I think there's a future potential in that. And I also think about like a little bit maybe, I would say younger generation as, as well. I think that those kind of new virtual environments do come quite naturally for those new audiences, which I, I find very, very interesting. I was looking in news yesterday that there has been this whole new set of different startup companies coming to the kind of like future of workspace and how do you kind of like set up your online offices solely in this, this virtual environment? And it's an interesting use case. I think we are still a little bit far off 
for for that happening in in scale. But I think we are we are going to the uh, right direction, I guess. I think in the obviously metaverse, like I think there's also lots of like hype around it specifically. I think from the perspective, I saw that Snoop Dogg, for example, I think he <laughs> had launched like a music video, for example, in metaverse, and I don't know. I thought that was quite quite interesting. I see the future. Really? Well, what do you have? A crystal ball? What's going to happen? Listen, if you know something, you got to tell me. So we've covered loads there, and we probably already covered this, but if you had to think of, of one of the most significant game-changing technologies for 2022 and beyond, and how that might help or hinder financial services, what would you go for? I would still go with that, uh, with public cloud, even though it's kind of like maybe a little bit... Um, I don't know, old school answer in this environment. But I think like what I've been really excited to see is that the whole conversation with public cloud, how it has moved from this kind of like storage or kind of like backend storage discussion into AI and data science and analytics and, and all of that. And it's kind of like more about like all sorts of different capabilities that, that customers can use going forward. I think what it has been able to do is really to create this whole new ecosystem of, of different startup companies and, again, new capabilities for the, for the market, which I found really, really exciting. I think another area where we need to focus more is really around green tech capabilities. And again, like I think, again, in the public cloud space, each of the, the cloud providers, like they have released their strategies for, you know, zero footprint uh, capabilities and helping customers to move the next level really from that perspective or carbon footprint perspective. But I think there's so much more to, to do in, in that space as well. And that goes, I think, beyond from like, I think obviously every single business will need to think about this, but then also it comes to the discussion about individuals and what each individual can do going forward to reduce their footprint. And that will be really, really interesting conversation. So let's move on to the lightning round. Uh, we usually call it the lightning round. Okay, welcome to the super awesome bonus lightning round. The lightning round begins now. This is what it's really all about, is the lightning round. We're going to get to learn a lot more about you, and uh, you can absolutely pass on any question you like, but we will make every opportunity to come back to it next time we meet you. So anyway, let's start with a nice and easy one. Uh, favorite book or movie? Oh, I, I think that's a tricky one, actually. I think anything really from Harari. So I think I've really liked, you well know Harari. So I've really liked like his Sapiens books. I think I like the fact that he comes from that historical perspective and then also talks about the, the future where we'll be heading next. I think there has been, it was also like really interesting. I think it was like a webinar. I, I think there was a, well, it was a YouTube link I watched where he was uh, interviewed in San Francisco and he was talking about Silicon Valley and where does it go next. So I think overall, like really kind of like fascinating discussion and kind of like thought leadership. Movie is also a tricky one. I think I would go with uh, Rare Window by Alfred Hitchcock. I mean, that's very good, one, like very New York movie. Okay. Uh, James Stewart and Grace Kelly and those guys. I like that. <laughs> A classic, yeah. yeah. So it's that. In fact, I think that's not only is that a classic. It's our first Hitchcock, right? That's a, that's it actually. I didn't know that. So carrying on from there, now you now you live in the US. I'm I'm presupposing something here, but that's not. That's but we'll go with it. Yeah. You know, what's your favorite place 
to visit? In the US, I, so I would still, I do prefer, like, I think I like European destinations still. So I think I would uh, go for, I think Venice is always very nice. Like I, I really like that. Marrakesh, I think is another favorite destination as well. But again, like obviously both of those places pretty far from, from New York. Here I would go to like maybe out east to do, go like um, close to the seaside and you know, enjoying there, or then even like to the to the mountains close by New York. Quick trip. Yep, I lived I lived in New York twice, so I know how accessible it is to get to get from New York. It was a loaded question, really, because it's oh, very yes, easy exactly. to get anywhere by well by plane or train. I mean, and train's quite a pleasant way to travel. Absolutely, absolutely. So, what's one thing you've always wished you could do but haven't had the time to do yet? I think over, like, for example, gardening would be quite nice to, to do. Like, I haven't got, got around to do it yet. I'm hearing it's very calming and, and relaxing. <laughs> so I think that would be one thing that I want to do in the future, have to plan my own garden, you know? Wow. Brian, she can come around and help. Yeah, because Matthew's seen the state of my garden because I'm having housework done. So I, I have oh, yeah. a garden. <laughs> I, I have a building site which every weekend I move the dirt from one side of the building site to the other side of the building oh, site. Yeah. <laughs> and then the builder takes the whole week to move it back with. So I will, I will tell you that the, my, and this is, I'm going, we're going slightly off piste. So I've just had a message from a wife who says the concrete has been delivered, but they're had struggling to get the, to get it delivered into the house because they dug a trench through the house today to put concrete in. So I, 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 obviously I was caring and sharing. I said, that's not my problem at the moment. I'm on a podcast. Yeah. So there, <laughs> so there well, you go. I just say, Brian, you're to hope she doesn't listen. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Sounds painful, yeah. you know? Yeah, it is. It is. Okay, so you're in so you're in New York. It's an incredibly cosmopolitan environment. What's your favorite breakfast food to have in New York? I still, I would still go with like coffee and croissant or something like that. Like very light. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Re- I guess I haven't gone into these like New York bagels or stuff like that. localized just yet, you know. Yeah. All, the wa- all the waffles with all the syrup on and the bacon. Oh and yes, else. exactly, exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Diner food and stuff like that. <laughs> so, if you had a time machine, would you go back in time or into the future? I would. I guess the question is, can I still come back? I would probably go to the future if I could still have a decision that I can still come back as needed. If it's too, like, out there in the future, mm-hmm. I might go, decide to come back. This is, a, this is an interesting one. Uh, you have your own late-night show. Who are your first three guests onto the late-night show? I would probably go with Larry David. I think he might be quite quite interesting guest. So I was the creator of uh, Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm. I think he's quite, uh, he could be quite fun, fun guest. Maybe Satya Nadella. Mm. I think he would be kind of like interesting, like more kind of like where the, where the world will be going and uh, on the technology side and, and what is happening there. And then Obama is always like I think that he would be an interesting one as well to see what, what what he's up to as well these days. So, um, who's your mentor? Have you been most inspired by? I've had them obviously throughout the years. I think my, I've had like lots of lots of them actually, and I think it's mostly many of my previous managers. And I don't think I guess 
have they been my mentors and maybe sponsors as well to to a certain extent? Like I've learned a lot from from each of them, to be honest. And then also I've had lots of conversations with customers and kind of like external technologists as, as well, where we have had like lots of fun conversations and where the market will be moving next and also kind of like asking the, the carrier advice in, in, in general. So here we go. If you were an ice cream, what ice cream would you be? I would be vanilla, even though it's very boring answer. But I think with vanilla, you can kind of like, you can really taste the quality of the ice cream. So that's why I would go with vanilla. I'm not really one of these, like, you know, have all these like rocky road ice creams and stuff like that. It's like too much. Like I want like plain. No, no, no. What is it? It's Ben and Jerry's, isn't it? So there's the, there's the whole madness of US ice creams. Rocky yes, Rose exactly. Exactly. My, but I tell you, I will say this. I will say this openly. So my favourite when I lived in New York was something called Cherry Garcia. It was named after Jerry Garcia of the Grateful <laughs> Dead. Right? I'm old enough to remember them. And it was just, it was basically, it, was, it wasn't it was ice cream. It was basically cherries that had a little bit of ice cream in it. Oh, so, yeah. Anyway, I just So when was the last time you used cash and what was it for? I've used cash actually, uh, funnily enough, like quite uh, recently, uh, quite often. So I'm um, renovating this kind of like old farmhouse. And I've been in this, like, in order to decorate the, the place, like you go to these different antique stores. And obviously, cash is really the king there. Like, you go to these places where I, they, they wouldn't have seen Apple Pay in, in those places. So either you pay with cash or you pay with check. So those are the two options. And you can actually get like quite nice discounts as well by doing it. So, but obviously, yeah, like carrying cash is always like a little bit awkward these days. So that would be the, the last time. The last concert that you saw? I'm really bad with concerts, actually. Like, I'm not the concert person whatsoever. Like, I think when would I have been like, maybe like some like jazz concert is kind of more like a just like going to see just band or like that this concert i'm not sure but um it's the same um, thing it's the same thing it, it's the same thing like probably like a couple of years ago in in what's the place in west west village you would have been there like smalls i think yeah there's loads of small places yeah, yeah. yeah. i think that's that's the one where it would have been last time but i'm not really big into this like massive concerts in general only one i, I could see it i think rolling stone is like it would be still nice to see it you know live Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> My last question then. Uh, so what piece of career advice do you wish you'd have given to your younger self? Trusting your gut instinct. I think that's like when you kind of like get into discussions about new roles or when you even get to the new role or when you are ready to make a move to the, to the next one. So really kind of like listening yourself that is this the right opportunity for you? Or are you ready to do something else? I mean, that's that's probably the key. And then also, like, I think overall, like, people tend to be, I think, a little bit scared to try new things. I mean, that's always the key that, you know, you, you can go to the new role and you will learn in the role and you will kind of, like, explore further and adapt to, to, to new things. But I think that's also another thing that is really that kind of, like, being curious about, what what might be happening next and adapting to that that situation. I mean, those are probably the two key things that I would I would say would be important ones. Last question. Uh, it's the question we ask at the end of um, of every podcast. 
So if you had to do karaoke or if you've done karaoke and a preferred song, but if you had to do karaoke, what would be your choice of song to sing? This is a really tricky one for me because I, I really don't like karaoke. Like I think anybody who knows me, like they know that I wouldn't ever sing karaoke. <laughs> like I'm the last person to do it. I think that's kind of like finishing me in a way. Like I'm still like a little bit shy of I wouldn't be able to do that whole like stage presentation thing but I think if I would be forced I think I would go with like some of the like very kind of like simple classics like maybe um uh, yesterday by Beatles or you know one of those like really simple plain again <laughs> that's good that's fine every everyone's different this is an interesting yeah. question because yeah. you definitely get to see someone's personalities we've had a few right. wild things we've had a few wild things <laughs> A few people yes. that clearly construct their stuff. Oh, exactly. Yeah. That has been fabulous. Thank you so much for uh, for spending the time with us today and uh, for letting us get to know you some more. So uh, thank you so, so much. Thank you. This was great. Thank you very much indeed, Hannah. To keep up with Hannah, please follow her on LinkedIn. We'll have a link in our show notes. As always, if we can help you in any way, please talk with your VMware account team or... You can connect with us on LinkedIn. Just search for Brian Hayes or Matthew O'Neill at VMware. You can also follow me on Twitter at Matthew O'N or our podcast on Twitter at DBTBpod. And you can find our show notes at don'tbankthebankpodcast.com. If you like our podcast and can leave us a review and comment on Apple Podcasts, that'd be really appreciated. And if you have any ideas for future episodes or wish to appear as a future guest, please do get in touch. We hope you can join us again next time. Please do take care. 